everyone, welcome to Heart's Happiness Podcast. The place where I, Manpreet, share my journey of healing intergenerational family trauma to help you to understand your story. I share a bunch of tools and tips that will transform your mental health and allow you to find your own heart's happiness. So exciting, right? Each episode will cover one of three areas. One, raising awareness of what this trauma actually is and how it hides in our lives. Two, tools, tips, support, lots of different things that I've used to get better and heal from this trauma. And three, I'll be connecting you with so many specialists and therapists and coaches as guests on my show. So we are going to transform your mental health and empower you to take your healing by the hands and move forward. Today we are talking about body image and how this is impacted by our family trauma. So if you are listening today and you have struggled with the way that you've looked for as long as you can remember, you've been on every diet you can speak of like me, then this is going to be a great episode for you because we're going to find out where that all comes from and what we can do to transform that. I have a special guest coming on called Kimmy Singh and I'll get her to introduce herself and she's an expert on nutrition and body image. So I'm going to ask her a few questions about where this all comes from and what we can do to change it. This is a subject that's very close to my heart because I've struggled with my weight and the way that I've looked since I was very, very young. And on my healing journey, I've done quite a lot of digging into this. And I've realized what kind of comments I was getting when I was very young and I went through puberty and my body changed. And that's when everyone started to comment on what I looked like and the size I was and how I wasn't the same as everybody else. And that's kind of when my war with my body began because I started to put on weight to try to hide my body away. And then my family members would comment on me putting on weight so then I would lose weight again and then I had become an emotional eater so I would use food to comfort myself and it was like a constant cycle and throughout whether I was big or small or whatever I always thought I wasn't good enough and I you know wasn't pretty and I didn't have a good body and I was fat or whatever those really horrible words. I was full of self-hate, self-disgust and toxic shame And through my journey of healing, I have realized that those messages that came through to me were from my parents, my aunties, my uncles, my grandparents, all these people were feeding this message of body hate, I guess, through to me. And also I was picking up messages from marketing and magazines and TV and all this kind of stuff. And as far as I was concerned, my body needed to be fixed. And that's what I've been doing most of my life. And I've given up on that strategy now. And I'm trying to have a healthier relationship with my body where I feed it the food. It needs to be healthy and to live a long and healthy life. So it's my self-love journey of learning how to take care of my body rather than hate it and only exercise to be skinny rather than for the health benefits and the way that it makes me feel. So I'm doing a lot of work on this area. So I'm going to do a few episodes on this, but I'm really interested to hear what Kimmy has to say about all of it. I think that for so many of us women and men, we get these messages from our family members. So have a little think about what people used to say about your body and what you looked like, etc. I come from a South Asian community and people love, love, love to talk about the way you look and the size that you are. Nobody's really that interested in what you do like for a job or anything, but that you're perfect, that you're pretty and that you're slim is so, so important. So I could feel myself when I used to go to weddings just trying to lose a few pounds before the wedding just so 
nobody would tell me that I was fat. <laughs> so it's ridiculous, really. And honestly, this whole war with my body has created so, 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 so many mental health issues. Like, you know, like the self-hate, the anxiety, the way the inner critical voice, all of that is kind of manifested in this relationship with my body and that's something that I'm working very very hard to change by having a healthier relationship with food with exercise what's hilarious is that when I was younger back at photos I'm just like what were they all saying to me because that was absolute nonsense so never listen to what other people say it's about what you think and feel so we are going to speak to Kimmy now and find out how she can help us all on our journey to heal our relationship with our bodies. Kimmy, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody and who you are and what you do and all that kind of thing? Absolutely, yes. So my name is Kimmy Singh. I'm a registered dietitian here in New York City in private practice. I work with lots of folks that have eating disorders or just kind of are curious about how to approach health without dieting, without weight loss, and also while loving their bodies. Great, great. And I just want to say I love your accent because every time I speak to an American, I just want to say that. <laughs> That's so flattering, especially since I love your accent. So I don't know why it's so boring compared to yours. <laughs> I'm really on a journey of trying to unpick why I have grown up to hate my body so much. And I see this in so many people I know, generations of older than me, friends, family, all that kind of stuff. What do you think is the reason, I'm guessing there's more than one, of why we hate our bodies so much? Yeah, you know, for most people I meet, they've never seen somebody really loving their body. That's just not something they have, they've ever had an idea about until very recently with the body positive movement gaining more traction. So really from our earliest messages that we see our elders talking about their bodies, it's in a negative light. Um, what we see on TV, we see certain bodies portrayed as really desirable, as really beautiful. And then we see other bodies kind of connected to these negative stereotypes. So a lot of people feel like they have to assess where they fall into that spectrum of being either super beautiful and thin or being in a larger body and having all of these negative associations and how can you can get further and further from that. So a lot of people don't know how to connect with their bodies outside of that really extreme way of looking at bodies. Yeah, no, that makes sense because we've all, we're all of different shapes and sizes, but we were never told that that was acceptable at all ever. Exactly. For, for me personally, like when I was younger, I've started to really look at when my body changed and as I started puberty and I got boobs and stuff like that. And I felt like my family really started to, because they're Indian, <laughs> and they just love to comment on these things, really started to comment on my body changing. Almost like now when I look at it, it was like a fear reaction to me becoming a woman, I think more than anything, mm -hmm. and not really knowing how to deal with that. But I just all of a sudden had all of this input into what I looked like. So it wasn't just you know, the world telling me that my body wasn't what it should look like. But I also got these really strong messages from my family members too. And where did, do they get it from? <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I feel like so many of our parents, they've been living with this themselves, right? This pressure to be thinner. And I think a lot of it's connected to this pressure to conform to like the Western ideas of beauty and how these Western Western ideas of beauty were also brought, brought to South Asia during colonialism, right? Like during the British rule. And we see when we look through history that the way when fat bodies started to be seen as this really negative thing, it was really through this European way of looking at bodies 
and as they spread to different parts of the world. In addition to saying darker skin was bad, larger bodies were also seen as bad. And so being able to be of upper class, um, if it's you know unrelated to like caste and ideas around that, really a way of navigating through society as a lot of our parents see it is through trying to look the part, right? So trying to fit in as much as you can with what's mm-hmm. acceptable. And so, yeah, I really see that being put onto kids too, especially around that age, like right before puberty or during puberty, and oftentimes even more so on women, right? Where they're put a, given that extra pressure to have that marriage potential. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's just so damaging because it's those years where you don't really feel comfortable in your body anyway because it's changed so quickly. Like, I just felt like my body changed overnight. This attention's on it and this people are commenting on it. And now everybody does it all of the time whenever you see everyone. But it's just Mm -hmm. uh, crazy. So it's so interesting that you say that there is such a massive obsession with being thin, being fair, in my culture in particular, but also across the world, to be fair. So I guess to fit in, because like I feel with my family in particular, there is this real need and want to be perfect. And I feel a bit now like it was like, that was their way of saying that's how we keep safe. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? From the the comments and all that kind of stuff, even though they were making the comments themselves. But yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times our families they only see themselves through how others would see them, right? Like that third party perspective, like how would the rest of the community see us? How would the rest of the community um, perceive our daughter if she's not dead? And so there's really no connection with how they really see themselves. It's really just through the eyes of others. And something that I've really been exploring is that this was such a norm, I mean, massively in our culture, but in all cultures and what's happened as a result of that is that people are making these comments about people the way they look etc and it's actually emotionally abusive so that's where that trauma starts to play right so when we're young we're hearing those words I I, honestly it still makes me sting to this day remembering Mm -hmm. you know the comments and then that's when I started to learn that oh okay well first of all I will put on weight so I can pad out my body so nobody can see my boobs that was strategy number one but then everybody started to say oh you put on weight oh that whole thing carried on and Mm. then that really hurt and I had some nasty comments oh you're not as slim as your mom you're not as slim as your cousins or your family members and stuff so then I was like oh I'll diet and around me my parents were into diets I guess and we had exercise stuff so I started to exercise at like 12 and then the war came with food So, you know, the emotional eating to numb the pain of all these horrible comments, Mm -hmm. then I was putting on the weight, then the restrictions started to come and the diet. Is that, is that kind of common what you see in your practice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of people, when I ask them, tell me about your relationship with food, where it really starts is this time, either childhood, teenage years, whenever, whenever they started dieting, whenever they started to feel the comments towards their body is where their relationship with food started to go downhill and where eating started to be something that came from a source of shame, hiding food or eating alone in secrecy because they didn't feel safe doing it in front of people that were making comments. And what happens is when people are eating in, a, in response to being told their body is not okay, is they're really eating from this place of scarcity because they're kind of mentally preparing to start dieting, to start restricting 
So instead of listening to their hunger and fullness, their bodies actually respond as if it is a famine. So they really do, they eat out of a sense of scarcity, which is really natural. It's how we're hardwired to do it, but it really causes a lot of pain in our relationship with food. Yeah, definitely. As I think as I've got older, it's got worse because I've tried so many different types of diets and then it's confused me to what I should and shouldn't be eating because when anybody was making these comments or anything it was never there was never a focus on my health it was always Mm -hmm. on how I looked so I was never going to the gym to be healthy and Mm -hmm. to have great mental health I was doing it to shed some pounds and now I'm really trying to reframe that because and realize how good working out makes me feel and for my Mm -hmm. mental health rather than oh I'm trying to reach this goal and that's absolutely a, a real adjustment and I don't think my family's ever it was never like that eat healthy or but it was never like that it was yeah (laughs) yeah it was it's funny that you mentioned that because i i totally experienced the same thing and i think for so many people it's all about considering like how others are going to see you and how um like you said before like how you can feel safe navigating your community right it's not about really what'll feel safe in your body because it feels better Mm, yeah definitely hard even now I think when I have a family function I'm aware that those comments are going to kind of flare up then I will like try to lose a little bit of weight beforehand Mm -hmm. you know just like as a protection method but I feel like as I've got older people don't really say those things as much anymore but it's just that constant fear of it crazy when we spoke before that the stats around eating disorders in the uk are particularly high is that for south asian women or specifically for south asian women so it's interesting because like when comparing the uk stats to the us the uk doesn't really have an official number in terms of overall population so the summary (laughs) is that like they don't have enough research money going to find this number so we don't know um so like the estimate is like between what is it one to three million people but we're really not sure and it's just an estimate so but what we do find is that when surveys were given to I believe it's high schoolers in the UK and compare comparing all different like ethnic or ethnicities folks that were South Asian had the highest rates of disordered eating um, behaviors on those surveys and it's interesting if we consider the setting because we don't see South Asian folks actually represented in treatment, actually represented in eating disorder advocacy. But if we're going to the classroom setting and we're giving these surveys, they are scoring really terribly high and higher than any other group, except nobody is talking about it. Nobody knows about it. And the worst part is they're not receiving treatment. Mm-hmm. I, can, I mean, I can totally see that in my own community but also would you say that's the same for other people of color so again going back to the whole colonialism thing yeah absolutely that's crazy and i i think it really speaks to like how our families we don't we really don't know how to talk about eating disorders right like there's this idea that especially we're considering south asia you see this so many people experiencing poverty so many people not having enough so this idea that somebody intentionally would not eat because of their appearance it's something that a lot for a lot of people it's really hard to connect to mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because i know you work on eating disorders and a lot of people understand anorexia and uh, bulimia and all that kind of stuff but disordered eating and like being that addicted to diets could you explain what that is because that actually is an eating disorder right yeah absolutely so one thing to keep in mind is i feel like so many times like you mentioned people have an idea of what's anorexia what's bulimia but they don't understand binge eating disorder they don't understand maybe something that's subclinical disordered eating so it might not fit an actual dsm diagnosis 
but it still is this obsession and fixation on food and body that's really affecting the way they can function, the way they're connecting to their loved ones. And so there are so many unhealthy behaviors around food that are just so normalized. And that's where I think if we're only looking at this through the lens of anorexia and bulimia, we're leaving out so many people, so many people. Yeah, and like it, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you, like so many folks. Yeah, the most yeah. common eating disorder is binge eating disorder, but nobody knew this and it wasn't even added to the DSM, the, the manual that has all the diagnoses until 2013. Because mm-hmm. obviously, like from what I understand now about addictions is that we use them to kind of numb our p- pain from our trauma from when we were younger. So for example, with me, with that whole relationship with food and with dieting, that was how I had learned to deal with my trauma. But then I carried on going through it. And obviously my body's been affected by that all that dieting where it's actually bigger than what it was when I started. Almost like if you stop doing it, then you start to feel the actual pain of what you're numbing out right I should be a thing exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh my gosh you'd be so great so yeah no I cannot agree more it's it's something where the distraction of dieting and the distraction of hating our bodies and trying to control it with food it takes us away from really being in the present moment it takes us away from really checking in with like why do I feel this way about my body what feelings are coming up around it Mm-hmm. So it's a huge distraction. Also really unhealthy for your body, right? Because you're exactly. doing, you're following a plan and obviously that plan might be great and have great nutrition, food in it and all that kind of stuff, but you're doing it for a set period of time. And then you go back to your disordered eating, your comfort eating, etc. You're not really addressing the problem. So it's like, what's the actual point? Is, is that why you say yeah. diets don't work or what would you? Yeah. So, oh gosh, so a few reasons. One is I feel like diets really paint this picture of that you're going to change the way you're eating, your body's going to change, everything will be happy. And there we go. But what ultimately ends up happening is what people start to eat differently. A lot of times they feel like they're not getting enough pleasure in their relationship with food. They start to feel deprived. And it's really something that's not sustainable as a way of changing the way they're eating. And also what happens when they're not getting enough food in general is that it really starts to affect their health. It also starts to affect their body, like the way it holds on to fat. So when they do start eating a regular amount again, their weight set point, like where their body naturally wants to be, it starts to go up because their body is kind of preparing for the next time they're not going to have enough food. And so it can cause weight gain in that way and oftentimes does for the majority of folks. So there's nothing wrong with gaining weight if that's what your body's doing. But I think it's important to note that with diets, it's really the opposite is happening. So instead of this promise that you're going to lose weight, you actually end up gaining weight and your relationship with food feels a bit out of whack because you're so used to having. Yeah, I can definitely, definitely relate to that. So there's two things I want to ask about all of this. So, cause I'm trying to do it for myself. So I'm trying to stop dieting and listen to what my body actually wants to have and have a healthier relationship. First of all, how do I deal with that underlying trauma? So I know that might be a big thing where it's caused damage to the way that I look at, look at my body. I have like probably some body dysmorphia out of it. What would you recommend people do for that element? And then we'll go on to the food part in a second. Right. Well, sometimes if it's something that's really affecting the way you're looking at your body, sometimes working with a therapist can be helpful. Another great one can really be like checking with what images you're seeing. So on TV, on social media, are you looking at all images of folks that are thin? 
because we find that really does like research shows that really does affect the way we view our bodies. So getting more exposure to different body sizes, similar to how we talked about, we're so used to seeing our body through the lens of how other people see it. I always like to remind folks, you know, like if you were to look, look at your body without those other ideas, the way other people would judge your body, and you're really just to look at it through your own eyes, how would it look differently? And is there something gentle and kind that you can say about your body? Is there a reason to feel thankful for it? And really starting with those small steps, which at first can be really hard, but to hopefully get people to a place of feeling more neutral to their bodies and then hopefully feeling a bit more love and kindness. Is, is that how you recommend that we do work on body uh, being body neutral by those kind of steps that's actually really interesting because I did that today I was, when I was in the shower I was like yeah my stomach looks flat a crazy observation but you know mm-hmm. yeah but it actually made me feel better so it's like mm-hmm. so it's just comments like that what about do you think affirmations are good for this they can be. Yeah, well, I think something to keep in mind is really coming from a place of unconditionally accepting your body. So there might be times where you or someone, their body, their stomach does not look flat and that's okay. And so, you know, like just knowing that you accept your body regardless of where it fits into that beauty ideal, right? And so affirmations can be helpful, especially coming from a place, maybe if there's a part of your body that you're struggling with, and finding something that you can feel more comfortable around with it. I like to remind folks, like if, if they're kind of envisioning their future self as being thinner than they currently are, that's a good sign that they're not really living in their present body. They're kind of still waiting for their future self to be thinner. So something they can do to change that would be like throwing away clothes that don't fit anymore and buying clothes that really do fit comfortably and really honoring and celebrating your body as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely great, great advice. So what do you think about, do you have BMI in the US? You do, right? Mm, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently we're all, well, every, pretty much most people are overweight, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's something that beats everybody up so like for me I'm I'm a pretty healthy person like I I work out I go for walks you know apart from my emotional eating issue which I'm working on at the moment but generally I am and but my BMI is high so if I went to the doctor surgery today and they weighed me they would tell me that I need to like go on a diet and all that kind of stuff and it's so triggering (laughs) even thinking about that triggers me but what would you say to people about BMI because I know there's a lot of research on that it's actually a load of crap (laughs) yes oh my gosh so BMI the the history of BMI is really funny because it wasn't created to be a medical tool at all it was really created by a statistician that was trying to play around with the stats in the general population so it's not something to go by in that way Also, but even when he was looking at the general population, if I'm remembering correctly, it was only for white men. So that doesn't account for like how bodies change and are different for different folks. And so it's really limiting in that way. So there are other indicators of health, right? So looking at your lab work, looking at your sleep quality, looking at how you're feeling around food, your mental health. And so reminding your provider if it feels safe to do so, you know, like what are some other measures I can look at if I want to look outside of BMI or how would you treat, treat this particular issue if I was in a thinner body? And so really trying to advocate for yourself in that way can be helpful. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people um, from South Asian back- backgrounds are suffer with diabetes or are afraid of diabetes because we're a bit more prone to it. And a real marker for that is BMI. So 
would you say that's a good indication of that you're going to get diabetes if your BMI is high? Yeah, no, it's uh, unfortunately something where there's a big misconception that BMI is going to cause diabetes, but that's not the case at all. What we find actually is a predictor for like um, glucose imbalances is dieting. And so dieting and pursuing weight loss is actually can be a predictor for struggling with a lot of these conditions that have historically been tied to BMI. But when we're looking at the research, it's actually when our body um, has to readjust from weight cycling or weight going up and down. That's what's linked to a lot of the conditions, like even hypertension too, that South Asians are concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that's, again, based on a lot of fear, because yeah. if you're actually taking care of your diet, like having less sugar and making healthier choices because they're good for you and they make you feel good, then your sugar will start to, or well, I would think, would be balancing out anyway, right? somebody is concerned about the sugar in their diet, I always like to remind folks that food in itself is only one small percent of overall health. So there's so many other factors that contribute. And so you can still have those things. And if you're having sugar crashes, maybe adding some protein or adding other things to it. So it doesn't feel like you're being deprived. Mm -hmm. It's important to have a, a little bit of everything, isn't it? So that moves on to how can we not diet but be take care of our bodies. That's kind of what I'm trying to do at the moment. So what would you suggest? Yeah, so um, I like this framing. I don't remember who created it, but really looking at it, if we're thinking of like a pendulum, a lot of folks feel like they're living in a place of diet land. And then when they stop dieting and they're having permission around these foods that have been off limits, it can feel like the pendulum swings. So they're living in donut land and it's this fun time and they're having these foods they enjoy. And it's really important that there's that natural swing of trying things they haven't had before. And a big fear is that people have, uh, people are scared that when they start eating these foods, they'll never be able to stop. Their health will change. They're not going to feel good all the time. And what I find in my work is that when people do start to have permission, a lot of these foods that felt so tempting because they were off limits, they start to feel a little bit less charged. And so they find the happy medium between these pendulum swings to a place that feels good for their bodies. Mm -hmm. So basically not stopping yourself from having things because of your fear around them. It's almost like taking the fear out of those foods, right? And And feeling like you can trust yourself around them. That's what you kind of taught yourself that you can't actually trust yourself around them. Something that I've been thinking about as well, because obviously we still live in a world where everybody is obsessed with weight and size and all that kind of thing. So there's all these very small young people being born right now. And I'm not a parent, but so many people I know are parents as parents listening in now. How can we promote healthy body image to our children and Mm -hmm. kind of stop this from repeating? Oh, gosh, such a great question. So I think it goes back to your first question of um, like why we all hate our bodies. A lot of us have never seen anything different in the folks around us. And so even modeling for your children, you know, all bodies are different. You might not see bodies like mine on TV, but you know, it it doesn't mean that bodies like mine shouldn't exist. I'm comfortable with my body and starting to have these conversations at different places where they are developmentally. So when they're younger, it might be harder to really talk about diet culture and diets with them, but you can model like, oh, look, like if a child comes in and says, oh, like, why does your body look fat? Like, oh, this is just how my body is. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And what did you learn about at school about fat bodies? Like, let's have a conversation about that where they are developmentally. 
And then as they get older, if their body is changing, when their body is changing, being able to talk about it and say, it's okay if there are days you're not feeling good in your body, but you don't need to turn to other tools to manipulate your body size. That's great. And so many of us, especially those of us from a South Asian culture, are still going to have those comments at like functions and stuff. I have no idea what to say in that situation <laughs> other than go to the toilet and cry. <laughs> so have you got any advice of what, how we deal with like negative comments about our bodies? Mm. It's not like kind of saying it's not okay to talk to me like that, I guess. Yes. So um, this is a really interesting question because I think that um, in a lot of white communities, the normal response is putting up a boundary and saying, it's not okay to say that to me. And sometimes it's okay to say that to people. And also I know just culturally, sometimes that's not going to fly and it's not going to be comfortable for people to say in a situation like that to someone that's older. And so really trying not to engage can be really helpful. So if somebody is complimenting you because you're looking thin, also not responding with a thank you, like really being very neutral about it or maybe changing the subject or complimenting them about something that's not looks related. Um, and if somebody is saying something that's negative, you know, really saying, well, this is what my body, how my body looks and um, maybe changing the subject or taking a break from it. And I know we talked about this, I know we talked about this before, but having permission to take breaks from some of these events, if you're really struggling with body image, if you feel like leading up to the events, you're doing really terrible things to your body because you're so scared of going, that's a sign that you have to put up a boundary within yourself before you might feel ready to take on some of those harder situations. So until you're like stronger and you can deal with it, almost like yeah. take that self-care time just to sort of get a thicker skin I guess about it and just realize mm. or, or what I kind of I'm trying to say to myself is they're just saying that because of their own like you said their own exactly stuff from their own like traumas and whatever and yeah they don't first actually know <laughs> so oh, absolutely yeah like for so many aunties I feel like they've been living with this their whole lives and they really don't know how to view bodies outside of it right like they don't have an idea that you can be okay with your body changing or you know even responding saying I like my body as is right like um it's it can be really important to model that patriarchy in our all cultures is huge i mean in south asian culture it is crazy with i feel like we still have a really long way to go with that whole area and sexism and that us women are just meant to be pretty and skinny and fair and a wife and all that kind of stuff that really feeds into this as well right because so many of us are told from when we're young that you know our worth is our body and how attractive mm -hmm, exactly. we are not like anything yeah. else about you which is crazy exactly it's really like we're kind of put in that pathway to really prepare for being in that position so you can get married portray this certain look and we're not really told that we should have develop a sense of self it's just about that outward appearance and what you know what uh, what's considered most acceptable in this super shallow way sometimes mm -hmm. I mean when I was younger I definitely um felt like if I looked perfect then I would get compliments so if I did my makeup or my hair in a certain way and when you're doing that and when you're dieting and when you're doing all of that it's so much energy you're putting into pretending that you're perfect that you actually lose so much time time for yourself and who mm -hmm. you actually are like now I don't even bother straightening my hair and I've realized I've never known this my whole life but my hair's actually quite curly because <laughs> I've just been so, so busy trying to 
fit yeah. somebody else's beauty ideal that now I'm like exactly. oh this is what my hair actually I'm 38 and I've just figured out this yes. is what my hair looks like so just like mm-hmm. stopping doing all of this gives you time back almost exactly can you imagine I'm even thinking mm-hmm. of like South Asian women that have been so oppressed like how we collectively could be in such a different place if we weren't we didn't feel like we needed to spend so much time dieting or straightening our hair or looking a certain way you know just how much energy and mind space it takes up or you judging each other those types of conversations oh yes of course, so of course. everybody's different and everybody's ideal of beauty is different like people are attracted to different types of people and if we just strip that all away so hopefully like my podcast will get shared around and we'll just stop putting messages out there like this because the mm. little people are hearing them as well they are yeah and we don't want to pass it on again it's been no no i think it's too long <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. let's do um, <laughs> it so in terms of i know we spoke about like how we deal with our self-hate by like you said doing more body neutral steps and relationship with food like exploring all foods i guess and not just the good good and bad ones all of them and how uh, for me uh, what i'm doing is feeling tasting how they actually make me feel mm-hmm. as opposed to and that's really been a, a game changer is there anything else that you would recommend with people that are trying to sort of heal from all of this honestly finding community and if you're not finding the community you want then create the community you want so i love that you're doing this podcast because i feel like we don't have enough conversations about this in the south asian community and so it's it's going to be really hard to do to do this alone especially because we are such we're people that are really collectivist in our in our way of being so it's important we have support and so really speaking up being intentional about sharing it with your friends sharing it with your family so you don't feel like you're the lone wolf going into this yeah and that way other people find out about it as well right like me sharing my experience right now and there are so many great books out there as well which i found really helpful is what are your top ones that you would recommend oh my gosh good question so i really like anti-diet it talks a little bit about the history of bmi and a little bit more about how like the ideas around health and weight are so much more complicated. So that's a great one, Anti-Diet by Chrissy Harrison. Um, another one is The Fuck It Diet by oh, Carolyn yeah. Duner. Yeah, that's a really good one and a fun read, yeah, <laughs> obviously, if you're comfortable with cursing. <laughs> so, um, and next is, it actually came out this year, but it's the Intuitive Eating book, the fourth edition. So this is by Evelyn Tribley and Elise Risch. And um, yeah, this is one I know you mentioned for steps if you're moving away from dieting. They also have an intuitive eating workbook. So if you're looking for solid steps and you don't feel like you're ready or want to work with someone one-on-one this is a great way to sort of self-pace your way through it yeah I've read that book but it's really funny actually um when I read that book I I went on a diet soon afterwards because I think it just feels so uncomfortable and scary and when I was letting myself try all the different food or whatever I started to put on a little bit of weight then Mm -hmm. the panic sets in I'm like I'll just do one more diet get slimmed down and then I'll intuitively eat so I (laughs) think for anybody that's listening it's it's a real journey isn't it to kind of get there it's not it easy. is it's like so much programming in your families in society in culture and you know mm. every every background you could think of it's everywhere isn't it so it's really hard it to break it down i think for me personally it's a really deep 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 wound and it's taking yeah. time to kind of heal it really if people wanted to work with someone on this area what kind of specialist do you recommend how do we go about finding someone what are yeah. your services if you have availability that kind of thing because like you mentioned a lot of this is around our childhood trauma so working with somebody is is so helpful 
Great question. So I would recommend looking into either a dietitian, nutritionist, or a therapist that has a health at every size approach. And so this just means that they aren't going to try to sell you, oh yeah, I'm going to help you love your body and we can work on weight loss because it doesn't really work, right? It's still a diet. And so a health at every size approach is what I would specifically look for. And yeah, I work with folks one-on-one. My caseload is a bit full right now, but I might have some opening spots by the time this comes out, hopefully. So if somebody wants to reach out, they can reach out to me at bodypositivedietitian.com. Great. And I'll put your links into episode notes. And I'm also going to have another person coming on from Neat Nutrition. I'm actually doing a, her course at the moment. So we thought we would launch our episode after I finish. So that will be coming up as well, guys. So you can find out more information about her too. But that's everything. Thank you so much for your time and filling us in on all your knowledge. It has been so, so helpful. It's such important work as well. <laughs> Because oh, I feel like it's pleasure. it's got such a long way to go, hasn't it? I think all of this area, mm-hmm. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. But hopefully yeah. people will start to do new research, which would be really nice, right? About health and body size and all that kind of stuff. So we have some facts that people stop using BMI and things to kind of yeah. like beat us up with. Absolutely. And like the last 10 years, we've had so much progress research-wise. And so I'm looking forward to see where it goes from here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And there we have it, guys. An episode completed. I hope you enjoyed it and it raised a load of awareness in your mind. There was alarm bells going. You were all like, ding, that's totally me. Because that's what I was like when I started this journey. And that is the start of the process, finding out this information and realizing it has happened in your own life. So I really hope it was helpful. And before the next episode coming out next Wednesday, be sure to check us out on Instagram. So it's hearts underscore underscore happiness. Also, we have a YouTube channel where I share the videos I create for Instagram on. So you can check that out. They come on about once a week. And then we also have a Facebook group if you want to join to carry on the conversation. I want to create a community where we're all talking about our very real experiences and traumas. And then there is also my website called heartshappiness.co.uk, which you can check out to join our mailing list so that as I create new services and support tools for you all, you're the first to find out. And I have a freebie on there, so definitely check that out. It's five books that transformed my healing. So if you really want to kickstart and you know you're liking the content in here, these books are like the basis of so much of my knowledge. So definitely check that out. And I will speak to you next week. I'm so excited to continue this journey with you to help you to find your own heart's happiness. Take care.